You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I feel the Lord real strongly in here. Anybody else sense the Lord here? <laughs> the Spirit's attracted to blood. When you apply the blood, the Spirit just descends. I thank you, Lord, for continuous washings. Thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all, un- all unrighteousness. Praise God. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the whole world. Thank you, Jesus. You are wonderful. We love this charm of yours that you wash us, you wash us continually. This charm of your priesthood bearing our names on your chest, breastplate, before before the Father, we thank you. We praise you, amen. Um, So last night, we spoke about the beauty of the Lord, specifically revealed in what he is, this all-sufficient one who sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases, does all things, works all things after the counsel of his own will, this great one, what he is as God Almighty, making lightning for the rain. The scripture tells us he feeds the cows. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? The Bible tells us he makes every blade of grass grow. That's pretty awesome, that he's so intimately, personally involved in our lives. And in this world, the scripture tells us that he tells the lion to wait in the thicket. (laughs) This is incredible stuff. That his all-pervading consciousness is in everything. Uh, You know, the wonderful thing about the great infinite God is that just as any individual can step outside and enjoy the shining of the sun all to himself as if he was the only person on the planet, so God's infinitude can deal with each one of you as if you were the only person that he created. That's beautiful, isn't it? So this greatness of God, number one. Number two, not just that he's great, but that this kind of great person is compassionate and longs to pick you up and to carry you. Uh, This kind of God that is attracted to your weaknesses, praise God. (laughs) That kind of compassion. And then he doesn't just stop at language, he actually expresses the fullness of that character and kindness by dropping down into human flesh to live the life that you could never live and die the death that you deserved. That's the beauty of this great gospel. God Almighty, who is gracious and compassionate, manifests that fully in becoming a man. And that's the beauty of the Lord, the attractiveness of him. He pulls us towards himself with this splendor and beautiful character that wins the heart. As Jonathan Edwards said, I said it earlier, that the beauty of God bows the will and draws the heart. It causes you to gladly bow your knee and worship him alone. And then we went into what happens after the recognition of, or the continuous recognition of the beauty 
of the Lord. Matthew Henry actually wrote that our lives should be entertained from day to day by the contemplation of the beauty of the Lord. Beautiful statement. But moving into seeing the treasuring of Christ is actually the consistent meditation upon the beauty of the Lord as we saw Mary seated at the Lord's feet. And she has this way about her revealed in that perfect passage that gives us an incredible imagery of her sitting there fixed, preoccupied, set upon him, doesn't care what anybody else thinks about her, doesn't recognize she's being even persecuted by her her sister, and she is transfixed with his beauty, finding in him in that moment a whole realm of love, that she is the fulfillment of the bride in Song of Solomon who sees that honey is under his tongue, his lips are full of sweetness and he is wholly desirable or entirely enticing or altogether lovely. You know the word lovely is incredible because it means excites love. Lovely means to excite love. So when we say Jesus is altogether lovely, that means everything about him, every aspect, every angle, everything about him entices love. He causes you to love him. So you can say safely that if your love is suffering, your sight is dim. (laughs) Or if your looking is impaired in some way, if your looking is not happening, then your love is going to be waning because your love is found in the looking. As you look, you live. As you look, you love, because you see him as he in fact is. We saw this in Mary. But I wanna talk part two of treasuring Christ, okay? Is this all right? Treasuring Christ. This, as you can tell, I love those two words put together (laughs) because you think of him as your treasure and that is just exactly what he is, isn't he? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he lovely? Isn't he able to say, aren't you able to say there is absolutely no one like him? I mean, take the greatest person you know and the person that you like the most and you put them next to Jesus and they disappear. You you, you take the greatest thing that can happen to you in your life or the best things or even the worst things that have happened to you in your life and you put them next to the shining face of Jesus and they just seem to disappear. That's just how his effect, the effect of him is. So I want to turn over to uh, John chapter 11 and look at what treasuring Christ looks like in various situations in life. As I said earlier, according to the words of Jesus Christ himself, that this treasuring of Christ is connected to the gospel forever. And we see this woman, Mary, who treasures Christ And Jesus says, look at this woman and how she treasures me. That's what the gospel sight brings each man to. That's, I'm taking a lot of liberty there, but that's what's basically being said. (laughs) So in um, John chapter 11, this is a incredible portion of scripture. You've read it before, but you see bridal love here. Each time you see Mary, and her treasuring of Christ, it is an expression of this bridal love. But the problem today is that the danger of the intimacy movement is, is that many have only adopted the language of intimacy. Or they've, they've, we, we have a bridal vocabulary more than a bridal experience. 
or uh, you know, we know the phrases, but we lack the heart. Do you know what I'm saying? But, but we're gonna look at what it looks like to truly be bridal here because we've, a lot of times we've replaced touch with talk. You know, we know how to say stuff, but we don't have the experiences oftentimes. But our telling should come forth from a touching, uh, that, that smearing of the Lord upon you. Do you remember in 1 John, the scripture says that you have received an anointing that abides in you and you know all things, or you have no, man, no need for a man to teach you specifically about Antichrist? But he's, he's talking about the smearing. The word anointing means to smear. That's touch. He smears on you. This anointing, this touch, is how you know. You've, you've received an anointing, you all know. So your knowing comes from a touching. That touching specifically by Christ's hands applying the spirit to your life. That's the smear. And that smearing is your knowing. We need more touch because that's how God teaches. God teaches by touching. Praise God. And so we, we see it's easy to give ourselves to things that God has never really breathed in us. It's easy to just kind of do stuff, make stuff happen instead of forgetting, uh, I mean, instead of going towards the Lord directly and what he has for us. So in, in this chapter, we see a very interesting story. You've read it many times, but uh, we'll look at it. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> Bethany. The village of Mary. <laughs> she is so extravagant. What she has done is so extravagant that Bethany itself is identified with this girl. <laughs> I wonder if God would touch New Point to such a degree that when people come to Ames, they say, yeah, that's the city of New Point. Because God has been, he has received a love from this place to such a degree that it identifies, you, you are part of and, and embedded inside of this community like that because of a love of God. So this is what we see with Mary, it's incredible. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with oil, praise God, and wiped his feet with her hair. Interesting point, just a side note. Uh, I got commended for rabbit trails earlier, so I'll follow another rabbit. Um, Interesting, did you know that the, the scripture tells us, 1 Corinthians 7, that the glory of a woman is her hair? Did you know that the women would keep their hair up and wouldn't let it down until their husband? Check this out. She dries his feet with her hair, which means she took her hair out and put it on his feet. She laid at his feet her glory and basically is saying, you're my husband. <laughs> Praise God. Okay, anyways, so whose brother Lazarus was sick, so the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, him who you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? If any man walks in the day, he does not stumble. But he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
This he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. Incredible. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. <laughs> interesting, it's willing to die with him doesn't equate to believing in him. I thought that was interesting. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come uh, to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed in the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give to you. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies, he lives. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Look at this. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, secretly. Watch this. The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly, and she came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, <laughs> but she was still in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and ran out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. <laughs> Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man have opened, who opened up the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved, <laughs> he came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it, and Jesus had removed the stone. Martha, her sister, uh, 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 Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been there four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I say it so that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was, face was wrapped around with cloth, and Jesus said, Find him and let him go. I say all this to point at something specific. I read the whole story just because the story is incredible. Isn't it incredible? I remember reading an old church father. He said, he asked where Lazarus was laid because he was man. He raised him because he's God. <laughs> 
I love that. He said, he who hears prayer prays. This is the, 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 the wonderful son of man, son of God. He is completely man, but he's completely God. And that's the beauty of, of Christ, his wonder of symmetry. So we see a couple of things here. Her brother has died. Remember, I'm talking to you about treasuring Christ. Remember, I'm talking to you about what it looks like to have a bridal love for Jesus, seen specifically in this woman, that Jesus says, remember her, because she's connected to the gospel. In other words, what the beauty of his person and nature should bring us to. So her brother has died, the Lord arrives on the scene, Martha meets him with dialogue. She's talking with him. She even talks to him about theology. I know he resurrected on the last day. But listen to this. In his dialogue with Martha, he does not find what he's looking for. <laughs> I love that. He's looking for something specific, and it's not in Martha looking at him face to face and giving a little dialogue and a theological conversation. He's looking for something different than that. The Lord seeks for Mary. The Lord is looking for her. Man, the Lord is looking. Think about this. Martha comes to him, but Jesus is looking for Mary. Can you imagine that? I don't want us to come to the Lord and the Lord say, hey, uh, I'm glad that you came to talk to me, but I'm looking for somebody who's gonna be able to bring me to that point where I can do this miracle. I'm looking for something specific. Can you imagine going to the Lord and saying, hey, where's Michael? You know, where, you come to the Lord and say, where's Dan? You know, it's because he's not finding it. I want him to find everything he's looking for right here. How many of you are with me? What are you looking for, Lord? I want to be that for you. So he looks at her and he's looking for Mary, which is very special to me. Even the fact that he's looking for her moves my heart. But the scripture says that he's not even yet in the village and Martha goes to get Mary and she says that the master is calling for you. This word that's used for calling is the same word used for blind Bartimaeus. Remember when blind Bartimaeus is calling out and they tell him to be, to be quiet? It's the same word. Jesus is calling her name from outside the city. That's incredible. He's looking for this woman. Why? Because there's something he finds in her. A treasuring. He finds a bridal love. He finds something in how and who she is that he's looking for in this moment. And I'm looking to be that uh, for the Lord. I want God to find what he's looking for in me. Because... What he's about to do is not the response to theology. It's not the response to a discussion. It's the response to what she does, which is adoration. She falls on her face before him. Jesus is just like his father. Remember in John 4, 23, the scripture says, God looks for those who worship. He's seeking worshipers. Jesus comes up on the scene and he's saying, Mary, because he knows she will worship me. He knows who she is. He knows what she's like. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, you guys know this verse. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth looking for a heart that's completely his. Don't you want those eyes to just stop when they see you because your heart is looking for him? That's what I want to be for the Lord. And may that be what the Lord even reignites re in each one of us, a heart looking for him. He looks today, I think, I think he even looks in here. He looks in our hearts to see if he's able to have all of us. That's that whole marital understanding. That's bridal. Bridal is all is yours, Lord. So worship transcends words is what we learn even in this story. 
Mary's worship transcends the words of Martha. So listen closely. When Martha goes to get, get Mary, the scripture says that Mary gets up immediately. Now there's a point here that I want to drive home because I remember it personally a lot. Have you ever had the Lord kind of tug on your heart? Have you ever had the Lord tug on your heart? You're doing something and you feel the Lord just kind of, come, come and be with me. Look at what Mary does when the tap on her shoulder comes. She gets up immediately and goes to him. I want to be that girl, (laughs) guy. I want to be that guy. (laughs) When I feel the Lord tapping on my shoulder, I want to get up immediately. I don't want to be like, yeah, well, I'll get, I'll get to that. You know, I want to be in the supermarket looking for s'mores cereal, which my daughter always makes me look for when I go there, and sense the presence of the Lord, and I want to just stop right where I am. Like this. I worship you, thank you. Praise you. Don't matter who's around. I give you, I give you praise, Lord, you're wonderful. I don't want to just feel that tug and be like, I'm doing something. You know what I'm saying? I wonder if he wants us to cherish the slightest impressions of the Spirit. I wonder if he's looking for those who, when he pulls on you, you just say, oh, Lord, I love you. How many of you have ever been at a dinner or something, and in a moment, you feel the Lord just move upon your heart, and you say, I'm sorry, I got to go. You just get up and go. And you're not saying that you leave the dinner completely, that'd be really rude. I mean, you go to the bathroom or something. And you go alone and you just say, Lord, I, I feel you're pulling, I worship you, I praise you, I praise you. I mean, how often has this happened to you? Maybe you're at, the, at a table or, or you're at a, a party or something and you feel the Lord pulling your heart and you just for a second give him that full attention then you just start weeping. These little whispers of love. Maybe you're at work and you just steal away moments. I remember when I was working construction, I'd be digging ditches all day long in the hot Florida sun. Florida's really close to hell. Uh, if you... <laughs> Be, just be digging all day long, you know, 12 hours a day in the sun. And, you know, I'd just be, and I'd be like, you know what, I need a, I just need a minute. I feel the Lord pulling my heart. I just need a minute. I'll find a place. We're in a field. You know, there's nowhere to go to hide from these heathen devils that are all around me. <laughs> I mean, this guy's foaming out of his mouth from some weird drug he took. This guy's over, over here looking at pornographic magazines, and we're all working. You know, we're supposed to be on the clock. You know, it's just, this world is corrupt. So I'm just I'm digging ditches and I feel a pull in my heart. So what I do is I, I go look for a porta potty, a nasty, stank, hot Florida potty, porta potty. <laughs> I go in there, shut the door, just to get a, a place of where the vulnerability can be real. You know, whenever you can be seen, your vulnerability can only go so far. But when you can't be seen, this is why Jesus says, when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door. Get away from people and then make that vulnerable place where you can actually do those things that you wouldn't do if some runner is going to run by you. Some, some people like to play, pray in parks and stuff. I think that's cool. You can pray anywhere you, you want. But there's something about a level of vulnerability when no one can see you. Does anybody agree with that? I mean, if a guy's going to run by soon, you know, on his jog, and you're going, oh, shut up, shut up. <laughs> you're going to feel a little, you know, you're going to be a little conscious of yourself. How many of you recognize your consciousness of God's presence is really connected to whether or not you're conscious of other people's presence? Some people can't experience God's presence because they're too conscious of other people's presence. Or they're too conscious of their own presence (laughs) instead of just his 
presence. And so this, this porta potty, I go in there, shut the door, and just lift my hands and just begin to worship the Lord. And that nasty, stank, hot Florida porta potty would turn into the glory of God. <laughs> I'm saying that to say something, I don't know, know what, but <laughs> there's, there's something about this, this heart that cherishes the slightest impressions. The tap on her shoulder, she gets up immediately and goes, praise God. I pray that happens to each one of us. I want more of that in my life. I wish I could say I've done it every single time. I can't say that, but I would like to one day say, every time I sense the pull of the Lord, I go. You know, how many of you are with me? You wanna make a decision together right now? Yeah. Let's just make a decision. Let's, just, let's pray this together. Let's say, say Lord, Lord, give me grace, give me grace. to cherish the slightest impressions from your spirit. Amen, amen. So then what happens next is she gets up e immediately. This is what I, I want to do. I want to be drawn to the Lord. But her brother has died. This is a tragedy. Listen, her brother is not figuratively dead. He's actually dead. And her heart hurts. And she doesn't understand, but look at what she does. She throws her feet, she throws her face down to his feet. Are you following what me? So there are feelings, but look at what she does with them. She throws them down at his feet. And this teaches us something, that even in crisis and questions, his feet are her home. Even in crisis and questions and pain, his feet are her pillow, his feet are her crown. This is bridal. This is treasuring Christ. She shows us that really in the place of pain, her bowing is her breathing. This is bridal, man. This is treasuring Christ. Everybody's gonna go through, how many of you have been through something in the last five years? Something that was very difficult. This last year was the hardest year of my entire life, period. Not even, not even a close second in my life. But I found that if I would look at this and realize this is what love looks like, this is what treasuring Christ looks like, take the pain, take the questions, and throw them down at the feet of Jesus and say, you are worthy. You are worthy. What she's teaching us is that his presence is more important than answers. Oh, his presence is more important than answers. You know, men seek explanation, but God seeks adoration. Men would much rather explain than just adore. And I'm seeing in Mary this kind of treasuring of Christ that shows us in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of questions, in the midst of pain, this is what we do. We go down to, remember, she doesn't know that he's there to raise him. She doesn't know. We know, because we read the whole book. She's, in this time, she doesn't know. This, there hasn't been somebody yet that's been dead for it. She doesn't, so she worships before the miracle. She doesn't worship after the miracle, that's easy. She worships before the miracle. It's easy to have the miracle take place and then, oh, I worship the Lord. But her love is of a kind that it's even before the demonstration of the miracle because it's not for her. Her worship isn't about the miracle. It's about the man. This is treasuring Christ is what I want to point us to. 
His presence is more important than facts, answers, explanations, in pain, in confusion, in sorrow. You are here, Lord. What more could I ask for? Wow. I wonder if this is the kind of thing that God is trying to bring his church to. Now, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I don't think. But I think it might get really bad for the Christians. Now, I'm hoping it doesn't, and I'm praying that the, up, the uppity guys are right <laughs> about God, you know, just everything just hostile, or just a whole takeover from the Lord, and the Lord comes back to a beautiful, glorious, yeah, maybe it'll be that way. I'm praying that it will be that way. But even if it's not, and things get really dark, if we don't have this kind of treasuring of Christ, we're gonna crumble. If we don't have this kind of treasuring of Christ, the moment something happens that you can't explain and you need God to answer, you're gonna give up. But it's this kind of treasuring of Christ that says, I don't even need to understand because you're more important than answers. Praise God. I remember Gene Edwards wrote a book called The Prisoner in the Third Cell. Anybody read that? It's a pretty, pretty amazing book. At the end of the book, the whole book is about John the Baptist thinks Jesus is gonna deliver him and Jesus doesn't and Jesus says, blessed are you if you're not offended of me. In other words, he doesn't, John can't understand. And the whole end of the book brings you to this one statement. He says, are you willing to trust a God that you do not understand? See, Mary is showing us that his presence is more important than understanding him. Isn't that powerful? This is, I'm talking to you again, I'm talking about treasuring Christ. This is a kind of treasuring of Christ that all of us in some way or another are going to have, we're gonna be tested on to see if it's right. And it's not that God is trying to test you in the sense of like, I wanna make sure you're loved. No, no, it's just this world is terrible and only his love can sustain you in it. Does that make sense? Okay, so we go on here and we see that Mary worships, the Lord weeps, and though Martha, Mary said the same things that Martha said, Jesus responds to Mary with resurrection power. They say the same words. Mary just said them from the ground. <laughs> Maybe the best way to be heard is being low. Martha says them here. Mary says them here. And I think that's the difference between the two of them. So I'd rather move him than understand him. How many of you are with me? I'd rather move his heart than understand him. I'd rather touch him than be able to define him. Anybody? I would rather feel adoration than just comprehend what it is. And this is what we see Mary is showing us. How often do we withhold our love in exact proportion to our need to understand? I'm gonna say that one more time. How often do we withhold our love in exact proportion to our need for him to explain himself? You following me? I just went through this recently my, in, in my own life, and I can say that this is something that was cons I had to consistently come back here, continuously, just like more so than I thought I would. It's not like I swallowed it and it was that way. It's like, no, I had to continu continually come to this place. Lord, no, you are more important than answers. You're more important than, than understanding things. Your presence here is more, it trumps all of these things. And this is the treasuring of Christ that is so precious. So Mary is willing to love him even without understanding him. This is why Mary is special to Jesus. You know, I, I was with a pastor in England 
an older guy, real precious. And uh, doesn't have a real big platform or anything. He's got a small church in Shaftesbury, uh, England, maybe. I mean, you could probably fit 60 people in the building. But man, he was a man of God. And uh, I looked at him and I said, I said, Pastor, what's the Lord been saying to you? You know what he says to me? He says, the Lord says to me, don't withhold your affections. <laughs> it hit me like he shot me with an arrow. That this is what the Lord was saying to him. Don't withhold your affections from me. Don't hold back. Give me all your heart. And I wonder if that's what this whole conference is about. The Lord is saying, talking to you in your life, in your life situation, in where you are in your life, don't withhold your affections from me. Give me all your heart. Give me all your love. Praise God. I feel that really strongly. It is not only what he wants from you, but it's what you need to do. It's what you need to let out in your life. A lot of times, uh, the, the, the impediments in our progress in God go back to where we have not allowed that affection out. We hinder our own growth by withholding our affections from him. Are you following me? It's very important because as we give our, our affections to, I'm not just talking about, you know, doing something extravagant in worship, like, you know, you're gonna jump more, or, you know, I'm gonna lay on my face longer. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about here, in your heart. Lord, I will not withhold my affections from you. So I don't need to know, Lord, I have you. So the memory of her is intrinsic to the gospel. And she's not... She's not to be remembered so that we know there once was a woman named Mary. We're told to remember her so that we can aspire to be that also. She shows us this is possible. She shows us that there is a kind of love like this. Not just so you could put her up somewhere and be like, she's great. No, 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 she's just showing you what love in Jesus looks like. Are you following me? And so um, the one who makes sense, the life that makes sense to the angels who behold his face, that's what we see in, in, in Mary, the embodiment of the first command to love the Lord with all of our hearts. I remember John of the Cross said, he wrote, when one walks lovesick for God, he fulfills the first commandment to perfection. Just walking lovesick for the Lord. And uh, we, we, we learn here not to put the great commission over the great command. You know, to love him first is the highest, even in difficulty and tragedy. And then the last thing here that I want to point at is in chapter 12. I won't read the whole story again, but there's this part in verse 3 where Mary took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and look at, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. We just talked about that. Look at this. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. So again, again, she's blinded by love to her surroundings. She seems to be this way in each case. So in love, she's blinded to her surroundings. And she wipes his feet with her hair. Now, it says that she poured out the contents. She emptied the contents out. Uh, Martha Kilpatrick makes a, a good statement here. She says, a part of it? No, all of it. Why? Because he's all to me. And what we give him and how much we give him and what we hold back are all a measure of our love for him. I think that's a beautiful way to look at this story. She gives everything. How much should I give him? How much should I give him? Well, what does he mean to you? How much of my heart should I give him? Well, what is he? 
What does he mean to you? So only if he is all to you can he be everything that you need. You see, whatever you withhold from him, he can't be for you. Whatever you withhold from him, he cannot be that for you. Are you following me? I remember reading Andrew Bonner's diary and his wife gets sick and she dies within three days of of being sick. And he writes in his journal so vulnerably. He writes, he says, today the Lord took from me the desire of my eyes. I look to him now to fill her place. That's, that struck me. The inward heart of this man whose wife just died. Today the Lord took the desire of my eyes from me. I look to him to fill her place. Wow. I don't know, it's, it's, it's moving and sobering. But only if he has all of the heart can he actually fulfill all the heart. There's parts of us that we want to hold back from him. And if we do, that area he can't fulfill with himself. And that's what Bonner's saying. He's like, now I give this to you so you can fulfill that part of me. Wow. We're going to need this more and more as time goes on. Many of you have lived through many things, things that I haven't been through. But I can say that in the things that I have been through, this is absolutely true. To let Christ in as all is letting him be healing balm. And only he can do this for those hearts that are, what, do you, what you would call this, a treasuring Christ heart, looking to him to be all. So the purity of Mary's love, it exposed the impurity in Judas. Did you notice that in this, in this verse? Like Judas is like really upset about why isn't this sold? Why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? Jesus is trying to show him somebody greater than good things is here. Someone greater than good deeds is here. It's the priority of his person. It's the prioritization of his person that he deserves even higher place than good deeds. That doesn't mean we don't have good deeds. It just means Jesus is better than good deeds. Yes, he's someone greater than the temple is here. Someone greater than Solomon is here. And someone greater than good deeds is here, Jesus is, is pointing their attention to. But Judas can't see this because Judas has ulterior motives. We see that many prefer the seat of Moses over the seat of Mary. The seat of Moses was that place of respect and honor in the house. But what we're looking for in Mary is the place at the feet of of Jesus. This is that treasuring of Christ. See, her anointment is said to be for his burial. Jesus says she anointed me for burial. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? It's like no one else believed she was going to die. No one else believed that he was going to die, but she did. She believes so much so that she brings oil for his burial. That's incredible. She had a revelation of him that the others did not have. You want to know something else? No disciple ever washed Jesus' feet. Do you know that? Nobody did. Only she did this. It shows me something about this treasuring of Christ. It brought her into a knowledge of Christ that no one else was able to find. As you treasure Christ, you find the treasures of Christ. And you find Christ as treasures. And you find these things that other people don't have access to because they won't open up their hearts uh, like that. So Mary's adoration is saying, they may not recognize you or believe you, but I do. That's what that treasuring of Christ does. So Mary treats him as if he is actually the image of the invisible God. So the, where I want to end this at is right here. The incredible thing about this is that when she takes this oil, she smears the perfume on him, 
So she puts perfume on him, and then she dries it with her hair. Now the incredible thing is that now she smells like him, and he smells like her. That's pretty amazing. This is the fragrance of a life lived at his feet. The fragrance of their love was experienced by everybody else in the room. The Bible says the fragrance filled the room. This shows me something. It shows me that ministry unto Christ is the highest ministry. That it will minister to other people if I will minister to Christ. As a matter of fact, the fragrance of your love relationship with Jesus will be experienced by everybody around you. This is the highest ministry. She hit the heart of the gospel. And so I conclude everything by saying, an ordinary woman who never preached a sermon, who never wrote a book, who performed no miracles, she stole the heart of Jesus away. (laughs) And so it will be with you as you choose to live wrapped in his presence, as you choose to put his presence and his person above everything in your life, every person and everything and everything that can happen and even your expectations. I wrote this poem and I said, Lord, take me up, Lord, higher to be with you above my plans, my concerns, my dreams, desires, preparations and and dreams and giftings and callings and streams and thinking on all lower themes. Take me up, Lord. Take me to the pinnacle above with you, my love, where all others fall off and my heart becomes soft and my mind is solved and my will dissolved. This is that place where you you go up to, oh Lord, you're greater than all things, it doesn't matter. I love all these things that you've given to me, but you're so far above all of them. I put you in the highest place so that I can say with Richard Wormbrand, who's put 14 feet beneath the earth, put in solitary confinement for seven years. He's fed one slice of bread a week. He's literally wasting away and dying. For seven years, he didn't see any colors but gray. For seven years, he heard no voice of a child. He saw no woman. He saw no other person. This seven years of solitary confinement, and he says in the midst of this when he's released, they said, you must have been in hell there. And he says, no, hell is to be without the presence of Jesus. Or he says this when he leaves. They said, you must have been in hell there. And he says this. He says, no, we knew the bridegroom's caresses and his kisses. It was the most beautiful time of my life. What is that? That's called treasuring Christ so much. Take whatever you wish from me. I have all in thee. My goodness gracious. Ravenhill said, you can take my Bible, you can take away the fellowship of the the saints, you can take my wife, you can take my kids, you can take everything away from me, but what you cannot touch ever is the presence of God on the inside of me. I wonder if a people that believed that, what they would look like and how they would be so unstoppable, put whatever pressure you want on them, crush them, on all sides, bring crushing. You can't even break them because they are... They're indwelt by God and they realize it and they know it and they drink from the fountain on the inside of them. Praise God. That just moves my heart. And so it changes the way you do all things in your life. And so I think that the conference has brought us to four things and I'll close out with these four little statements. One, that no one and nothing else captivates our hearts like Jesus from here on out. That's number one. Number two, time with Jesus is above everything else in our lives. That doesn't mean we don't do anything else, it just means it's prioritized above everything else. Number three, his word means more to us than what anybody else has to say. And number four, 
His desires mean more to us than our own desires. These four things are what I believe to be the best way to look at what first love looks like, what bridal love looks like, what treasuring Christ looks like. No one and nothing captivates my heart like you. Two, time with you is everything to me. Three, your word is more important than anything else to me. And number four, your desires trump mine in every case. Praise God. Praise God. Is that all right? Uh, I know that, one's a, that one was a little bit heavier, but I think that it's needed in this time that we're living in. And maybe what time we're going into, a treasuring of Christ is going to be your safety. The name of the Lord will then be a strong tower. The righteous will run into it and they'll be safe. Praise God. Let's just pray. Is that all right? Why don't you, why don't everybody stand up real quick? Let's just stand up and we'll pray together with, with all our hearts and we will just turn it over to them. Yeah. Just let's, let's do this unified. Just put your hand on your heart. Let's all say this together. Say, Jesus. I place you in the highest place. No one and nothing means as much to me as you. And Lord, I ask you, give me grace to prioritize communion with you over everything else. And Lord, I also ask you, help me to love your word more and love it more than anything else. May your word be my treasure as well. Better to me than a thousand pieces of silver. And Lord, lastly, help me to love your will over mine. Help me to see the poison of my own will and the bliss of yours even if I don't understand. In your precious name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.